0: We are in this series called "No Ordinary Family," and as Neil mentioned earlier, we are setting the foundation for this, and we did so last Sunday with Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine. And this is given the name the Shema, the Shema Yisrael, and it's an ancient principle that God instituted for His people, the Israelites. This truth that God is the Lord and He is one. Is the foundation that they set for their families and for their society as a nation of people. That we are to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we have the opportunity then to impress that upon our children and talk about it when we lie down and talk about it when we get up. And as we're going down the road, that we can write this on our door frames and uh, on our houses. And that this is something that is a constant reminder of who God is. And when we do that, when we exercise that principle... We're not going to end up with any ordinary run-of-the-mill type experience when it comes to our family. Now, some of you may know this, but before you ever get to a family, we all start in the same place, and that's being single. That's where the family starts. I know many of you think, no, it starts when you start getting into relationships, and you find the right person to settle down with, and you're going to be married to, and then that's where the family starts. No, no, the family starts way before you ever get to that point when you're single. We all start off that way. And some of you maybe have had this experience. Maybe you're single right now. Maybe single is something that was a long time ago in the past, and you don't really remember what it was like. But all of us had this experience, and maybe you had kind of that experience where your mom or your dad, you know, wanted you to find the right godly person for your life. That was something that they hope more than anything for you that that was going to happen. But if you're like me, that's a t- that was a tough prospect. When I was a young man, I, I did not really know how to talk to the opposite sex. I, it was awkward for me. I didn't really know how to start a conversation after a certain age, you know, and and how that was all going to work out. And so one of the things I wanted to do this morning is kind of help you out. Maybe you find yourself in that scenario. Or you want to say something sweet to your significant other, I'm going to give you ten Christian pickup lines. Alright, so I'm here here to help you. Helping people find you all right, here we go. Top ten Christian pickup lines. Is your name Grace? Because you're amazing. So you kind of see where this is headed, right, at this point. Alright. What do you think Paul meant when he said greet one another with a holy kiss? How about this one? Do you want to be accountability partners? This is my favorite. I shouldn't have told you, but this is my favorite. My parents are home. Want to come over? I like, I like that one. I think mean, it's clever. So I was reading the book of Numbers the other day, and I realized I don't have yours. <laughs> Same reaction as first service. I don't know why that one kills, but all right. It's a little too on the nose for me. I, okay. How would you like to join my purpose-driven life? I put the stud in Bible study. don't choke tiny looking for a knight in shining armor i'm wearing the armor of god i heard jesus called you mind if i do the same (laughs) some of you are like offended by that one i was too all right this last one i actually tried this out on my wife just to see how this would this would play out i think it works pretty well so you can take take this one as a freebie this is a good one um you're like a jar of water, except Jesus turned you into fine. On a, on a more serious note... On a more serious note, please don't date anyone who would actually use one of these. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just that's your that's your clue to just move on. It's tough, uh, like dealing with the whole relationship thing. I mean, it, it can it can be difficult if you remember what that was like, or if you're in that right now. It can be frustrating to find out who the right person is, or somebody that you're interested in getting to know. I mean, you could go on a few dates with somebody and think, oh man, this is Mister Right or Mrs. Right, and then find out they do something horrible, like put ketchup on their eggs, and you're like, well, that's <laughs> I mean, that's a you, right? That's a deal breaker. You know, of course, you know, nobody would ever do that. And and you find out as you go. So it'd be nice if there was some sort of, I don't know, uh, system of maybe f- kind of a screening process that you could come up with. Well, ah, online dating comes along. That was before, this is after my time, but online dating comes along. And then, oh, you've got these systems in place where you can kind of set up this profile, and then, then you can weed people out and find out who you really want want to be with. But even those can be tough, because some are, you know, it's like Tinder, where well, we're not even really trying, you know, when we, when we go that direction. And then you've got things like Match.com that are really helpful, and I know many of you have used that and found, uh, found some great people, and I know people that have great stories for that, but sometimes you need to get really even more specific to find that right godly man or woman uh, for your life so thankfully there's some solutions out there for us
1: interested in dating but tired of websites that are just too generic have specific needs but get frustrated after searching thousands of online profiles introducing christianfarmersonly.com the web's only dating resource built exclusively for christian farmers you want a guy that'll get his hands dirty but still knows your love language Looking for a guy who can harvest the fruit of a tree and the fruit of the spirit? Well, now there's a website for people who love Blake Shelton and Dave Barnes. I kissed dating goodbye, but I said hello to life on the farm. How much rainfall we're going to get every year? To me, that's every man's battle. And I'm looking for a very specific type of girl. Like the kind of girl that wouldn't mind taking communion from a red Solo cup. You know, like the kind of girl that will read the farmer's almanac and redeeming love. Basically, I'm looking for a Proverbs 31 girl with a badonkadonk. All right.
0: That's, that's enough of that. <clears throat> Listen, we do, we do a lot of silly things. It's worth making fun of ourselves just a little bit because we know, depending on what our experience, we've all done something a little silly when it comes to relationships. It can be tough to figure out and navigate what that is supposed to be, look, look what that's supposed to be looking like in our life. Whether or not you've been married for a long time or the first time or you're coming back onto the dating scene after a long hiatus or you're perfectly content with being single, what we're going to do this morning is kind of identify some of the common misconceptions that there are out there when it comes to an ordinary single life and how that impacts us later down the road and the life that God calls us to in our relationships. Even if you're married, I want to encourage you to pay attention for one of two reasons. One, either you've been giving terrible advice to your single friends for a long time in your life, or how you handled single life may be what's impacting your marriage today. And, and this is a little preview, because next week we're going to talk about marriage. But statistically speaking, 50% of people who are married in this room are experiencing some sort of marriage problem. And it's more than likely that that problem is something that you brought in with you to the relationship from your life before you were married, all right? So that kind of sets the tone of where we're headed this morning. If you're single, you've got a great opportunity to learn or perhaps be reminded of some truths from God that have some real world implications and impact on whether or not you have a run-of-the-mill relationship with a potential husband and wife or an extraordinary. But or an extraordinary one, but there's one very common misconception that I want to deal with first before we move on and, and, and say say anything else as we look into the text. The first thing is this, and you may have never heard this in a church or felt this before in a church ever before in your life, and that's this. Marriage and children are not a requirement for you to be a Christian. You You, you may have never felt that way before because of the social and religious pressure you have felt in your life to find the right person, even at some of the best uh, intentions of people in your life and what they want for you and they want to see you happy and all that kind of stuff. But what you need to know is God is not the one who is putting that pressure on you and in your life right now. You don't have to have marriage and children to be a Christian. There's many reasons why the word family, particularly in the Bible, equals Husband plus wife equal children. I mean, this is how God created us physically and emotionally to relate to each other, to live, to propagate in the earth. That's one of the ways that he set up the foundation for our relationships and how they're supposed to be worked out, not only in our family unit, but also in our church, in our lives, in our communities. But you don't have to enter into that experience to have and to be a Christian in your life. Maybe that's a weight, a little bit, that's being lifted from your shoulders. The Bible's clear. If you want physical intimacy, if you want the benefits that come from a marriage relationship, then get married. Pursue that marriage relationship. But that's not something you have to do in your life. We're certainly designed for relationship with each other. However, all the social and religious pressure that you may have felt to find a mate and settle down and have kids. It's not something that Jesus is pushing on you. In fact, Jesus says something that's very countercultural, not only for his day and age, but also for ours as well in Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 through 12 when it comes to marriage. And this conversation is coming right off the heels of Jesus talking with the religious leaders of the day and about divorce, kind kind of an interesting segue into this. Because at the time, divorce was handled in such a way that, well, the, the man had all the power in the relationship to determine this, but they were letting each other have divorces over things like, well, my wife burned my dinner. And so therefore, that's a reasonable reason to ask for divorce and, and get rid of my marriage. And Jesus says, no, this is not how God designed this or looks at, us. looks at this. And the disciples say to him, as a response, he says, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. And Jesus replies... Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. There are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who accepts this should accept it. Now, this is not for everybody. I mean, but for some of you, maybe this is a weight off your shoulders. Celibacy and singleness, Jesus uses these interchangeably because this is how God has set up and, and set his plan for sex and marriage. This can be the result of the way in which you're born. It could be based on your physical and emotional life experiences that have brought you to that decision at this place in your life. Or this could be something that you choose and how you live for the sake of the kingdom. Now, when Jesus is talking about that, he doesn't have in mind priests and monks and nuns and, and separating yourself from the rest of the world. It's your, what he's saying is that it's your quality of life, that your quality of life before God is not determined by whether or not you choose to be single or choose to be married. By the way, Jesus wasn't married. Jesus also isn't saying that it's more holy to remain celibate over choosing to be married. Here's what he is saying. Being single is an opportunity to be focused on God's life for you rather than what somebody else wants for you or what you want for yourself. Later in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul echoes Jesus teaching when he says this as he's talking about marriage he's talking about the relationship between a man and woman and what it's supposed to look like as husband and wife he says I say this is a concession not as a command I wish that all of you were single like me but each of you had your own gift from God one has this gift another has that some of you I know you're thinking singleness is a gift you got to be kidding me and that's that's almost laughable some of you are like me. When you're thinking as a young man, single young man, you know, singleness was not a gift in your mind. You were hoping to find that right person because you knew that that was going to help you have a better life maybe is what, what you thought. This is not an ordinary view that Paul and Jesus talk about of single life. And it might not seem to be very helpful depending on how you feel about this in this place in your life. So here are a couple important things I, I, think, I think we need to understand. First is this. I'm not saying that if you're dating right now, if you're with someone, that you need to, you need to break up with them and tell them it's because you, you, you're going you're gonna to spend some time dating Jesus in your life. All right. P- please don't ever say that. And if you ever hear somebody say that, just if you could slap them for me and say, Rob, Rob said to do that. We don't need a top ten worst Christian breakup lines. That's that's the one. All right. So this is not what Jesus and Paul are saying. What, what they are saying is that being single in this moment in your life might be the exact contrast that God is working through in your life to show you what He has planned for you, rather than what your plan is for you. The first lesson that we typically learn in our life is that other people who exist for our benefit. Moms kind of experience this a little bit more acutely because generally speaking, baby is born, mom is there to connect with baby, mom feeds baby, uh, kids grow up and ignore the fact that dad's in the house and walk past him to find mom to get them a drink of water. (laughs) I mean, you got anybody, any moms experience this at all? It happens all the time. It's like somehow I'm incapable of providing a solution for my children. I don't know that how this happened. Uh, I, don't get me wrong. Renee is amazing. She's an amazing woman and wife and all that kind of stuff. But it's very funny how that works out. We get older and we think someone else, that's what we need to do. We need to continue that trend. Someone else will come along and find us and complete us and, and fix everything in our life. You know the anecdote that we typically guys will find and marry someone who reminds us of our mom? or women, will we'll find somebody who typically will marry, and the, some of you are like thinking through this, and <laughs> like, do you remind me of my dad? And, you know, this is kind of freaky and, and scary. I don't know about this. But, but what, what we end up doing is we start looking for other people to fix stuff in our life, or to replace the things that we're missing or things that we lack. And here's the problem. There is no other person or relationship in your life that can fulfill what you're missing. There is no other person in your life that can fix you. Only God can do that. And when you and I approach being single with sober judgment, it will free us from sliding into a relationship or marriage that we feel like we're supposed to go into to deciding to be in one, not based on some feeling or circumstance or experience that you can have with anyone, but because it's the goodness and plan that God wants for you. Here's the heart behind all of this, and Paul identifies this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 32. He says, I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. Just like for a man, same thing for a woman. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And he breaks it all down to verse 35 and says, Here's the key to living out a non-ordinary singleness in your life. I'm saying all of this for your own good, not to restrict you or say that you can't get married or that you shouldn't or any of that but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. These are countercultural words from Paul and from Jesus as they talk about how we're supposed to think about building into a marriage relationship with another person or deciding whether or not that's a goal that we have in our life. Oftentimes, our social and political identity, particularly when Jesus and Paul are teaching, are wrapped in up in finding the right person. Marrying well, making sure you marry up. Maybe strategically, economically, marrying the right person or having somebody chosen for you and being forced into it so that your life will be whole and complete. We think that our physical relationship with another person is going to somehow make us feel the things that we're supposed to feel and complete something in us. But this idea of remaining celibate while single By waiting for the right person, by remaining in undivided devotion to the Lord while we're single isn't... I mean, that enough is to make you not ordinary in today's cultural climate, but it's about so much more than that. Whether you hope to be married one day or are grateful for the gift of being single, you and I, we all are called to a right way of living in undivided devotion to the Lord, not as a restriction that ties down but to enable us to experience the goodness in life that God has for each and every one of us. I get to talk with people in all kinds of different stages in their relationship life. So I get to talk to people in the joyful and hap- happy stages of, um, hey, we're, we're planning on getting married, and, you know, will you officiate the wedding? We'll talk about stuff, and that's cool, and we can plan for stuff, and and that's fun. I also get to talk with people in the midst of that, after. All the, the celebration has, has died down. It's like, well, we've got some things, you know, we kind of want to work on uh, together and that kind of thing. And so I get to sit and walk through people with those stages of their life and their relationships. And then there's another stage that I get to walk through. It's like, I'm not really sure if this is going to work out. And I get to sit and talk with people in those scenarios. And then I get to sit and talk with people where everything has blown up. And they're sitting there with broken pieces and not knowing how in the world is all this going to be put back together again. And so the reason why this is so important for us to talk about and for us to identify is not only do I want to save you, you know, some of you from some pain that you might otherwise experience if you didn't know any of this before, but also to help identify why things might be the way that they are right now in your relationships and in your marriages, to identify how and why you have brought heartache into the relationship you're in now, or to save you from Heartache from the relationship that is to come. So here are the things that I think God wants us to understand in our moments, in our time of undivided devotion to him. First thing is this, is learning contentment in our singleness. When you are secure in who God wants you to be, you won't be driven by who others want you to be. You don't need somebody else to complete you. It's, it's just not, it's not true. You don't need that in this life. Are we created for relationship? Yes but with a right relationship with Jesus first. And that's the foundation with which we're supposed to lead into our other relationships in life. Learning how to please the Lord first will set you up to recognize the difference between a healthy and a toxic relationship in your life. If you're unsettled in being single right now, a relationship is only going to mask the deeper issue in your life. Is it fear? Is it self-esteem? Is it selfishness? Maybe it's a lack of contentment in Jesus as our hope and glory. Maybe it's it's a it's it's recognizing finally that in this contentment that man, it's not, it's not that I need another person to hook up with, but but that I need a time and space to heal up from the past experiences that I've had. If you're if you consider yourself a matchmaker, I, I mean this is this is one of those moments where it's like, hey, pause for just a minute. Everyone needs time and space to be the person God has called us to be instead of worrying about whether another person is who God has called them to be for you. Which brings us to the second thing we'll come to understand during our devotion to Him. That's understanding compatibility. Instead of primarily asking if someone else is the right person for you, you should be asking, am I the person the person I want would be looking for? Am I the person, the person I want would be looking for? So you're compatible with a lot more people that you might think, and not in the there are plenty of fish in the sea kind of way. I'm talking about emotionally and physically, you're compatible with more than one perfect person. And if you've ever had more than one relationship, you understand this principle to be true because some of the decisions that you made in that relationship while you thought, this is the one for me, this is the person. The weight of the physical and emotional baggage you've carried into other relationship is proportionate to the actions that took place in that relationship based on the feelings you had in those moments. That, oh, this is, this is finally the one right person for me. But here's the thing. The person that God wants for your life, they're not going to ask you to compromise over comp- compatibility. The person that God wants for your life, they won't ask you to do things because it feels right. They'll ask you to do things the right way. The person you may eventually choose, if you're looking for somebody to marry, will become that perfect person, not because you guys knew it when you saw each other, but because you've both individually made a commitment to let God be the foundation of your relationship. And that brings us to the last thing in this undivided devotion to the Lord while we're single is that we'll learn what commitment really is. Because our commitment to God is what gives value to our commitments with others. See, this is this part where it's built on this principle of Shema, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which Jesus later clues us in on is how we're able to love our neighbor as, as ourselves is that a right understanding of how we're meant to have relationships with others will come from a right understanding of the relationship we're supposed to have with our Creator and our Heavenly Father. You don't have to get married or have physical intimacy with another person to survive. As some of you men, like, I don't know if that's true or not, but it is. You don't have to have physical intimacy with another person to survive, but if that's your desire, committing yourself to God first will prepare you for that relationship. You don't have to stay single to be holier for God. But if that's the gift you've been given, committing yourself to God empowers a wealth of relationships and friendships that have eternal and kingdom significance, and God will fulfill your need for relationship through that. And you might not be single right now, but you may have gotten some things out of order. And you may know that those things are the things that are affecting you right now in your relationship. Here's what I want you to know. Never too late for God to redeem those things in your life and in that relationship that you're in now. It's never too late for God to set them right. So let us recognize that being single is an opportunity to be focused on God's life for us. Let us recognize that when we devote ourselves to him, that that not only will God maybe bring that right person that we're supposed to be with in this life, but that God will first and primarily, and more importantly, lead us not necessarily to who we're supposed to be with, but who we're supposed to be first. Let me pray for us. God, our relationships affect us every day. Um the moods that we're in, the things that we have to do, and the relationships that we seek with another person to be a partner and a mate in life even more so. God, help us to see how our decisions that we make on our own impact the relationships that we have with another person. God, help us to be guided by your Holy Spirit to recognize how those decisions that we're making are going to impact us down the road. And God, give us the strength and the courage to have undivided devotion to you first so that we can have the best kind of relationships that we're supposed to have down the road. God, we're not looking for an ordinary experience in our life. We're looking for the on earth as it is in heaven experience that you promise us. So give us the wisdom that we need wherever we are, in our singleness, in our dating life, in our marriage, to discover what your plan is for us. In Jesus' name we pray.